0: I'd get to work then with more senior folks, because that's when you're in an agency world, then you're working with the directors or the VPs and things. So I really wanted to learn how they thought. And I was trying to figure out how to get in the rooms where they made decisions, because as an associate product manager in my role, I wasn't gonna be able to sit in that room. Flipping over was gonna give me that opportunity to get in the room and start learning. That was what I was looking for. My boss, really let me take the reins. I had no idea what I was doing. I never negotiated a contract before. Like, I had no idea how to structure it. I had never really talked to the folks in the States before. And he was just like, so what do you want to do? Here's how we could, and he'd step in all, he, like, he held my hand every step of the way. I was so appreciative of how they treated me to this point and how they like what they'd invested into me. I really didn't want to let them down either.
1: And welcome to Everyday Leadership podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. Today I have um, a friend of mine. She is an Award-winning. I <laughs> see you're cringing already. Um, she is now the former ND of Um EMEA, Um at Shopify. Where over the last six years, she has basically helped build Shopify's your presence from from scratch, really, which we're going to talk about. Prior to that, she was a global director. Um, and she's done a number of different things over her career. She is someone who is. I consider a very great people leader. Um, a lot of people consider a very great people leader. And today I just wanted to get real into what it takes to be a leader, to get to the heights that she's got to, to navigate and to show up authentically, which is not always easy as well. So that's what we're going to do. But I have the pleasure of talking to Shimona Meta today. How are you
0: doing? I am great, Shopei. I've relaxed.
1: <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's that's a state. That's a state I want you. That's a state I you you in. Um, so before we delve into who you've evolved into over the years, yeah. let's let's go way back to a younger Shimona, a ten year old Shimona. What was that one like?
0: Ten year old Shimona was a tomboy, actually. What? Yeah. Totally. Uh, I loved sports. And growing up, our parents were really great at making sure we were literally in every sport. So we were busy every season, every evening. Figure skating, swimming, softball, soccer, like you name it, we did it. Tennis lessons. And we loved sports. Like in our house, we loved baseball. And that would be like every single evening because baseball has like 160 games a season. So every evening for us as a family would be watching baseball. And I just, I loved sports in general. At a younger brother, my dad was into sports. So if that was, that was me at 10 years old. A little feminine too. Like I had the long hair and I liked dressing up, but very much a tomboy actually. And 10 year old Shimona, um, I think at that time, 10 years old i think i wanted to be a teacher Mm -hmm. Uh, because again who are our first heroes if you had a great teacher in pseudo elementary school so i think that might have been one of my first like uh, dreams or outlooks or plans for my life which didn't last very long to be honest but i think I i wanted to be a teacher and totally into sports and very much a nerd um, I was that kid that was getting all A pluses, the 90 plus percent. I read tons of books. I used to, underneath my desk, I used to have piles of books. And every so often my teachers would be telling me like, it's Shimona's time to take your pile of books home. Yeah.
1: you a favorite book or author at that point in time? Oh,
0: I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna mess up like age ranges and stuff, but I have the feeling it was either like Judy Blume and she wrote a lot of kids books. I don't know if that was for younger, and then I started to get into this. I remember there was these. There's a range of books called the Sweet Valley Twins. I think them too. Any and every like all novels, all fiction, all anything at all.
1: You quite it was quite balanced then between the sports, the books, and everything else. You have that foundation going out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff.
1: So, but net well, you're into baseball, but you also were into basketball, so were not you?
0: That that came a little bit later. Yeah. So as my brother and I both grew up, we, like he and I both got into basketball. Um, I played on my high school team for a couple of years, but we got into like NBA basketball and became fanatics, um, the two of us. And then the dream had switched. And for a little while in high school, my dream was to be a sports journalist, actually, because I did like writing. um, And of course, I was obsessed with sports. Uh, and so for a little while, up until I think about grade 11, until I was about 16, I was going to be a sports journalist. And I was going to travel the world and get to be around, like, sports all the time and write about it.
1: And then you switched into something else, because around that couple of years after that, you, what you said, doing um, volunteer work in Sri Lanka, didn't you?
0: That was after my first year of university, early. Yeah. Because yeah. I got through high school... And again, I was really studious. I was always on the honor roll. I was in every single club, right? I was like one of those really involved students. I had a great social life at school too. I was the president of my high school in my last year. Wow! And uh, right towards the end of it all though, I think it was when I was around 17 or 18, it struck me that I'd been getting these great grades and doing all these things to get into a, a, you know, good university. But I didn't know, I actually no longer knew what I wanted to do. And now I no longer understood what I've been doing all this work for. And so I started to get a little bit lost for a little while. I went to my first year of university. I did terribly because I just, I could no longer see what the next step was. And so I couldn't see the point of what I was doing. Uh, And I ended up taking a, a year off after my first year. And that was when I traveled. I went to Sri Lanka with another friend of mine. And I did, I was volunteering with an NGO called Women in Need that supports women and children victims of domestic violence and rape. We're doing a bunch of projects for them. That year away, I think really helped ground me in just appreciation for the life I had. Cause when you see some of the things that you see doing that kind of work, I came back, I think much lighter, that makes sense. I also knew though, then that I no longer wanted to get into social work. <laughs> because that was incredibly emotionally heavy um, to do that work. Um, so again, I came back. I was in school, no idea what to do, and and so when I got out of university, I really kind of fell into a couple of things. I was, I think, I was working as like an admin assistant. Uh, at like this tiny little company in some industrial part of Toronto until my mom actually got me an interview at her company, which was a food company called Jane's Family Foods. They do frozen chicken and fish in retail and and restaurants and all of that. And I And I managed to get a job there just in consumer relations, really starting from like very entry level because I just didn't know what I wanted to do, right? So this was something to do to start making some money, to start learning. And as my career kind of, I always tell people when they ask me, like, how I ended up where I am today. Um, if you again, you're looking at, you know, 20-something-year-old me working in consumer relations at a chicken company to being the MD of a MIA, like a global hyper-growth tech company. Like, those, those two paths don't look like they align. But what I always tell people, particularly young people, are asking me about my career is, my career has been like a progressive journey in self-awareness, right? And each thing I've done has taught me a little bit more about either what I'm good at or what I love to do, right?
1: So five years at Jane's, what did that teach you then?
0: At the time, uh, what I, uh, there was a couple of things I learned because I, like, I was really bright and, and I got bored very easily but I didn't know how to set myself up for a promotion, right? Like to do something else. I didn't know how to earn it. I was expecting it, right? I think, as maybe many of us when we're young do, we're like, hey, I'm doing a good job in what I'm doing. Give it to me. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. There were two things, though, um, that I learned there that, and that I got out of it, and I was very fortunate to have. One was there was a really great director of marketing there. Who seemed to have seen something in me, and I was willing to go and do extra projects anywhere. She really kind of took me under her wing and allowed me to just start tagging on to projects, right? So you know, focus groups and learning how we go into product development and packaging design, and of course, back then this is you know mid to late 2000s when social media is just becoming a thing. Get the youngest person to design the the web the Facebook page for the first time or the website you know relaunch and I was doing all of that on the side of what I was doing so I started to learn that I had to do my job and I had to do something to like learn and progress but that didn't happen without a really supportive leader giving me that opportunity the other was the, uh, the president of the company at the, that time he was a young guy that had come in and kind of shot up he was like 39 years old he was the president it was a quarter billion dollar company and I remember, and it was like, he was really, he was really personable. He would often walk around the office and just get to know people and ask them how they're doing, like genuinely, like cared about and got to know people and remembered things about them. It wasn't just, you know, a a stunt to walk around and show face. He really wanted to know his people. And I remember one time him sitting down, he could see that I was frustrated. And he said, "Shimona, do you know how a 39-year-old just became the president of a, you know, a national, you know, food company that's doing a quarter billion dollars. He's like, I always did the job that I wanted, not just the one that I had. So when it came time to fill that role, there was an obvious person to fill it. goes, it doesn't mean I didn't do my job. He goes, I did my job, and I showed up ready for the one that I wanted. And it became natural. And and the other thing he said to me, which has stayed with me forever, is, no one else in the world is responsible for your career except you. Those two pieces of advice have stuck with me for the last 15 years.
1: Yeah, of the great pieces of advice. But even going back to what your your first mentor did. You are someone who I see it happening like we do so many different things because we think it's a doing mm-hmm. but being able to have that laser focus and be like, OK, you're going to do something but it's in the fulfillment of moving in that particular direction, which actually helps you to make progress rather than just spend your energy everywhere and everywhere. That scattergun approach never works. But I think it's very natural to be like, that's what helps us get to where we need to get to, especially when we're still navigating and learning. And there are people who are a lot older who do that all their career and then they're like, but I've never gone anywhere in this person doing this because it's, you you have to be smart about the way, how you're applying your energy and where, as well as the advice that Lena gave to you, which is, which is really brilliant. But it's not always easy because you have that expectation of, yeah, but you're, you're senior to me. So you should be able to tell me what I need to do. Why should I take ownership of my, of my career?
0: The way he laid it out though, made so much sense, right? Which was, and this is again, is what I, something I say to all of our young people as well, when in any of the teams I've ever led, which is. You know your job is to figure out what direction you want to head in or what destination you'd like then my job as a leader is to create the path for you but you gotta tell me what you want right tell me anything about which direction you want to go in and i can help you to figure that out also right but you have to be the one to say here's the direction i want to head in and then i'll create the path for you or the map for you and then we'll follow it together but that's the ownership right the ownership of saying i want more or i want to develop or i want to learn maybe it's i don't know what exactly that means but you got to take the ownership and the initiative say i'm willing to do the work to figure out what i want to do and where i want to go will you help me right no one's going to come to you magically and be like we've been noticing you can doing a great job <laughs> We'd like here you go like, oh i got to pick <laughs> So, and that's that's the ownership that steve talked
1: about yeah so what did you decide you wanted to do then
0: so at that time it was marketing okay right i and i I'd, I'd fallen in love with like this product development and and brand creation and all of the things that went with with that and this again this is in in cpg or fmcg as we say here in Europe. And I really, I, I fell in love with it because it was just the creation of a product and understanding our consumers and thinking about, you know, the value proposition and all of the things that go into that. It was so varied as well. And yeah, I had so much fun with it, but there was only so far I could grow at Jane's, right? It was a medium-sized national company. And so finally at a point, this was another really big lesson, right? Sometimes as as great as an organization is, it may not aligned with your goals and ambitions, right? Because there may not be space for you to grow. Yes, it's a small company. Like the marketing team was five people. There's that growth happening. And so I made a, a, a tough decision to realize I had to go somewhere else, right? And this was a company where like everyone had a tenure of, you know, a decade plus. Like people stayed it's there because it was, it, was it was comfortable. It was a wonderful company, great environment. But for someone who was growing and learning, it wasn't the right place. So for the first time, you know, I'm working with a headhunter and I'm interviewing and I'm ending up somewhere else. And so I picked a place that allowed me a bit of a jump and a bit of a stretch and an opportunity to actually own an area of marketing. I was, uh, I was an associate product manager. This was a great entry point for me into like what I thought this new career was about to be this path in marketing. And God there and realized, and then got a whole new set of lessons. What
1: lessons were those?
0: I ended up at one of the most toxic environments that <laughs> I've ever worked at in the next one. And so I think that you learn just as much from being in a, you know, having bad bosses yep. and being in toxic environments as you do from being good ones, right? Because with the good ones, sometimes you don't actually realize what you've got. It's when you see... like How bad it can be. Ooh. It helps you to realize... So again, this comes back to like progressive self-awareness, what kind of environment you're really looking for, right? Like Jane's was a wonderful environment. This was not like, okay, great. I need to learn how to ask those questions the next time I'm, I'm interviewing for a job, right? How do I make sure? Cause I didn't even realize or think to ask that. Cause as a young person, I think I just assumed, right. They're all going to be pretty great environments with great people. And instead I was at a awful environment. So, so the first was okay. Here's what I need to look. Here's what's important to me. Here's what I need to look for the next time I go, wow, I don't agree with my boss. I don't feel like I'm learning anything from my boss. I'm going to need to look for a boss that I feel like I can learn something from because that's important to me too, or an environment that I want to be around. I want to be around leaders that I respect and I think that are making good decisions. So all of those things actually started to come into fruition. I still really liked marketing at the time. The, what also started to come together, though, is in that FMCG world, it's really slow, right? So if you follow like a traditional marketing path in FMCG, there's a very definite, predetermined, and slow path right you started like associate product manager product manager associate brand manager brand manager senior brand manager maybe at some point you're a director of marketing somewhere and that's a 15 year path right there because each of those is two years and i realized really quickly that i felt like i was learning fast and i didn't want to wait two years right i wanted to do more i wanted to impact more i could see already like i wanted to stretch beyond the tiny scope I had and I wanted to work on more. And I really wanted to learn like actually how businesses were run. So uh, so then for my next role, I had decided I was actually gonna flip over and I wanted to be customer facing. So I'd been thinking at the time, I'd be like maybe advertising agency, maybe marketing agency or something like that where I got to work then with multiple customers. So I could see how multiple companies build, make their decisions. I'd get to work then with more senior folks, because that's when you're in an agency world, then you're working with the directors or the VPs and things. So I really wanted to learn how they thought. And I was trying to figure out how to get in the rooms where they made decisions, because as an associate product manager in my role, I wasn't going to be able to sit in that room. Flipping over was going to give me that opportunity to get in the room and start learning. That was what I was looking for.
1: How do you balance the difference between impatient and knowing when you've outgrown a space? Because that can easily happen where you're like, "I want to learn one of that," but you're not ready yet, and you need to stay where you are versus where you were, where you're like, "Actually, no, I've learned a lot of stuff. I just need to be in a different different space."
0: I think the in that particular instance, it was less about that. I've learned a lot. It was quickly recognizing I wasn't going to learn anything okay. because of the environment, right? I really like I didn't have bosses that I thought were incredibly skilled at what they're doing or good leaders. I felt like they were not making good decisions. Toxic environment, like it didn't feel like I was going to actually learn there. So you can make the most of what I was doing, but I need a different environment. Um, but it's a really great question, right? Because I think we go through that a lot. We see that a lot, right? how do you balance impatience with like maybe you just need to sit still and keep learning
1: how quickly did you realize it
0: within a few months wow yeah i think it was two to three months max where i was like this is this is not a long-term thing but at that time i was really concerned with how it would look on my resume and my linked if i left so quickly and so my goal had been i'm going to stick this out for i was i was maybe i can stick this out for like 18 months or two years Right, so I can show that I've done the associate product manager role. Maybe there's things I can learn. I can kind of stick, like I want to show that I can stick things out. Uh, I think it took nine months before I caved and I started looking. I'm like, nope, it's not, <laughs> this is not going to work. I can't do this anymore.
1: I must admit, that, is, that is one of the, the things I enjoy about now as opposed to back in the day when you had to stay in places for a longer period of time because it's not good for you. You're going in daily, and it literally takes all of you just to be in those kind of toxic environments. I I need to be here, Lord, why? So I I I definitely can see me that I've been in those (laughs) environments.
0: It was the worst. It was really awful. Uh, And so then after that, so again, now I've realized I want to be somewhere where I can uh, be in rooms where I can learn. I would like to work with multiple companies. So again, I wanted to be some kind of agency side. I really did. I want to soak in, like, how do you, like, how do they figure this, these things out? How do they make their decisions? How do they make their plans? But I wanted, I also wanted a good boss, all of those things. And so I just started looking. And actually, again, it was a a friend of mine who was at uh, the NPD group. And she said there was a role open and she thought I'd be a great fit. And so the NPD group is a market research um, company. And so similar, not marketing agency, in fact, probably Better for me, it worked out that way because I know the advertising world can be, again, incredibly toxic. So as a market research world, you work with all of the, and it was for food, which is the world I was already in. So clients would be all of the food manufacturers and all the restaurants, um, operators across Canada, working with like all of the data and insights to help them to make great decisions. So you'd be, I'd be working with all of like marketing leaders, sales leaders, insights leaders, in all of these great companies like McCain and Burger King and McDonald's and all of those. Right. And I remember, and so I had a friend who was there who already loved it. Said it's great environment. It was going to be an environment where I could like, where I could learn from a bunch of different companies. I was going to learn some new skills. And I remember when I went and interviewed with who was going to be my boss. I just, I really liked him. He could tell he was just a great guy. And so it became a super easy decision actually to move over because all of those things were there and I was there. I was at NPD for I think about three and a half years, three-ish years, something like that. And it was so much fun. Like, honestly, we'd go for like, not just the learning, but even like the team environment that we created. Um, There were small teams. It was like a, it was a department of like 20 people. And we'd go for like, like lunchtime spin classes together a couple of times a week, like our boss created an environment where we were going to work hard cause we worked really hard and some long hours, but we were also going to have a lot of fun together. And we were going to, and again, that experience of building a, like a great cohesive environment where everyone enjoys working with each other, therefore is more productive and actually works harder and like really becomes passionate about the work we're doing. Like. That was a really great lesson right there. We had a lot of fun together actually, and we'd laugh in our meetings and like all of those things. It was really great. Great culture. It was. It was a great culture, and again, and once again, I like I was a fast learner, and I was a, a hard worker, and I think I demonstrated my value quickly. And then I had some great leaders around me who quickly decided that they wanted to develop that. And so, once again, just like that marketing director in Jane's, you know, my boss and, and there was another leader kind of swooped in and were like, how do we help you to grow? Mm. Right. And in fact, at one point, so I was an account manager for, I don't know, maybe a year. I can't even remember anymore. But then they kind of created this role to start to stretch me. So it was part account manager, then part business development. And now this is where I started to learn sales for the first time. Because they're like, You're good at what you do. Let's stretch you this way. Let's see if you can because I was I was doing really well with our clients. I was earning their trust. I was showing up well. I was learning the data and the insights part really well. And I was building really great relationships with our clients. And they're like, Okay, you show up well. Let's and so they taught me. And I started to learn how to sell, which and that was the very first time. And all of a sudden I fell in love with sales. And so now marketing's starting to like fall a little bit to the background. But it led me to this point.
1: If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's a podcast worth listening to. Which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcasts, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. What was that transition like The when you had your, your first sales like conversation? What was, that, what was that like for you?
0: Terrifying. I can remember the first significant one. I had flown to uh, or gone to a conference and there was a particular client I was trying to see. And again, I'm still like, account manager slash bd person and i'm about to go and present to like this global vp of this company he's got all the gray hairs like you know he's got all the experience and all this wisdom i was so nervous to show up in front of him and try and tell him how i thought he should run his business i had prepared for days i had an ipad with me I had a couple of slides that I'd prepared to show him, like some things that I'd looked up about his business. My boss, my incredibly supportive boss had a call with me right before I was about to go up to that booth. pumped me up. We talked through it together. All right. So again, an encouraging boss that helped to prepare me. Literally minutes before I am st- I was standing in the hallways of this conference with all the people running around and I'm talking to him and we're walking through it. He's like, you ready? I've got this. Let's talk through it. What are you going to say? Great." He went up, introduced myself to that person, stuck in my hand, nice firm handshake. She looked him in the eye. I was terrified inside Chopin. Like positive. I was sweating. I was so nervous, but the t- it was a fake it until you make it thing. Like I'm, All I could think of is I'm going to look him in his eye. I'm going to have a firm handshake and hopefully it goes from there. Even And maybe he won't know that I don't know what I'm doing. And that I'm so scared to talk to him. But he was actually wonderful. We sat, we went to the side, we started to take a look at it. He humored me while I showed him my slides at the middle of a conference. Oh my God. But that ended up leading actually to my first really big sale and really big contract negotiation. And I was a Canadian. Salesperson, I ended up actually renegotiating a contract for the States too. Wow. So I did a North American contract. So, A, again, and my, once again, my boss really let me take the reins. I had no idea what I was doing, Shilpe. Never negotiated a contract before. Like, I had no idea how to structure it. I had never really talked to the folks in the States before. And he was just like, So, what do you want to do? Here's how we could. And he'd step in all, every he like. He held my hand every step of the way, but he had me lead every call. It's like, no, you're going to do this. Right. So he supported me, but he pushed me out of my comfort zone at every step. And I really appreciated that because that's how I realized, oh my God, I can do this. Right. So that was a great feeling. Did that for a year. And then what always happens? What have you and I seen? What always happens when you have a really high performing IC? Promote them to leadership. Yeah, of course. Why not?
1: It's a natural progression.
0: <laughs> oh, man. So...
1: Were you ever asked, I'm curious, do you want this or were you just naturally give it? I
0: think it was, I was hungry for promotion okay. and advancement. And that meant then being the director. And... But the thought that moving from IC to leader is a career change had not occurred to me. That's a surprise. I had no idea. I thought that's just what you do. Cause that's just the path that everyone follows. You do well at your job, you get to do the next thing and then you're the manager. But not at all realizing like it's a whole thing. Like there's a, a change of career happening here. It, it did not at all occur to me. So I achieved this thing. You know, I, I got to, I was director of Canada for for that team. And I can still, Chopin, remember the first time I now had to have a one-on-one with someone on my team. And I freaked out. Because I had no idea what to do. And I'm just like, because in my head, I somehow had been like, well, I've been sitting in one-on-ones my whole career so far. So I just assumed I was going to know how to run one or how to be on the other side of the table for one. And I can still remember like that first one-on-one I'm like, I have no, like, wait a second, are they supposed to set the agenda? Am I, what are the expectations I'm supposed to, to send? Like, how am I supposed to structure this? What questions should I be asking? And I literally was just like, I have no idea actually what I'm doing here. Thankfully that company NPD also did management training. So just some basics, very basics, of like performance management and things like that. But at least it was something to start to make me aware that there's a new skill set I need, right? You weren't naturally supposed to know what to do just because you were great at your last job, Um, which is, I think, what I thought. Because I showed up, up until that point, always as like the vocal person in the room, right? The person that could rally the team, but that didn't mean I was gonna be a great leader for the team. And now understanding that I have all these people in my care, that first few months in that role was incredibly hard. I truly had no idea what I was doing.
1: Did you vocalize how hard it was or you feel you had to keep that internally because you do, you want you had to show that yeah. I'm in a position so therefore I can't, I can't talk about this.
0: Yep. Second one. I I've shown up until this point that I can figure out everything and that I can learn fast and that I can do. They've been amazing enough to support my career journey and put me in this position a i can't let them down and disappoint them and b i can't let them think that i can't handle this right or think that i'm weak i can figure this out i can figure it i figured out everything else up until this point i got to be able to figure out how to do this
1: it's quite interesting a lot of um my leaders and again to those kind of positions i'm like you ever They're like no I'm gonna do that because it's gonna make me look incompetent and they're gonna take other position away from me or it might leave a question mark on my record and people don't want that mm-hmm. so therefore you feel like you have to show up in a way where you don't really know what it is that you actually showing up for, but you're doing it anyway yeah. but back to your earlier point though it's that whole thinking of you've been elevated for a reason but it always makes me laugh where people always stop and think yeah, but they've never done that before. So how can we support them? You get support a lot more as an IC, leveling up than you do when you become a leader.
0: Yep. Yeah, totally. It, it was truly was a mix. It was a lot of like not wanting the question mark, mm. right? I wanted to make sure they could feel confident that I was competent in my job. The other, but the other was very much because I was so appreciative of how they treated me to this point and how they like what they'd invested into me. I really didn't want to let them down either. Yeah. I really didn't want to disappoint them.
1: So what was the, as you navigate that over the next couple of months, what was that turning point for you where you felt a lot more comfortable, comfortable and confidential, I say, in your role as a leader?
0: I don't, th- I don't think there was a specific moment, but I think somehow over some time and some difficult conversations that I like that I really messed up. Like there was a I can remember a couple of different folks on my team, right? I like i I just didn't handle some difficult situations well. And I I was becoming demanding versus empathetic. So if someone wasn't performing well, I wasn't taking enough time to understand, was it lack of clarity? Is it that they need support and help? Like I need to show up as a leader, not just demand that they perform, right? And I didn't understand that part as yet as as a leader, right? I didn't, I don't think I'd fully internalize that my only job again, I had great, some great examples like Steve from Jane's family foods, my boss at NPD, but I hadn't quite understood the line between accountability and, and empathy coaching and like high standards. And, and I definitely at the time felt like I was supposed to have all the answers. I could not, even for, so not just confident for my leaders, but even for my teams, I always felt like I needed to make sure I had the answers for them. So I put a lot of pressure on myself. So I've got to be confident for you, my bosses, and I need to have all the answers for my team because they're counting on me. So uh, that's just not a recipe for success. And I, it took a little while to remember these folks in my team and me, The relationship actually didn't need to change all that much just because my title changed, right? I didn't need to create this line. I think somehow in my head, I needed to create this line between leader and team. It's like, no, I don't actually need to do that. But again, it's that more traditional corporate world requires leaders to act in a certain way, have a certain facade, be professional. And through this time at NPD as well, uh, again, being so outwardly facing in traditional corporate worlds, which were predominantly older white guys around I... older white male reality. <laughs> That's the Yeah, that for the most part, <laughs> even myself as a woman, I was I was in conflict with myself into how to show up um, um authentically just as myself. So as a woman of color. And now you had a leader on top of that. I really had no idea how to show up. Like, you know, as someone who was you know, customer facing in all these scenarios, I was constantly, and I was getting advice from both sides, but like constantly trying to figure out, am I wearing enough makeup? Am I wearing too much makeup? Should I wear high heels? Should I wear a skirt? Should I wear pants? Should I smile? Am I smiling too much? Because I got told a few times that I actually smiled too much, which um, either could come off as ditzy or flirty rather than confident and powerful. Uh, hair short, hair long. And so I was in so much conflict of just how to show up as me and be taken seriously in a boardroom that then adding leader on top of that was just too much. It was a little overwhelming. And this is only me realizing that like in the last few years looking back, right at the time, I didn't realize how much conflict I was in in like how I wanted to show up.
1: I think that just speaks to how much you don't think about both in the moment as the individual but both also what I want to say the network the leadership don't actually think about because those are multiple layers to be able to navigate consistently Mm -hmm. and you see a lot happening especially when you see women women of colour being promoted because they might be the that might be the first woman or the first woman of colour or something so because you're first to it the advice that you're giving is very much aligned to what most white men have gone through and that's what they give you some of it helps a lot of it doesn't <laughs> so therefore you are navigating it on your own and therefore that struggle of okay that's great but that doesn't necessarily help me I'm trying to figure this out while still having a client in front of me that I need to present so while still having to look competent to all of you it's not and that's why it can be very very stressful sometimes which people don't really understand but that's a lot of what you just talked about that's the reality that you're going through man so when you then go through all those thoughts, you get to a point where you're a lot more comfortable. You know yourself. You understand yourself. And you decide, okay, I need to go to my next step in my career, which is when you're now leaving, you step into Shopify.
0: No, market logic, actually. Oh. Yeah, and this was my jump into tech. Ah, uh, okay. So I was happy at... NPD and been there about three years. But once again, so two things that were happening. So again, self-awareness journey um mm-hmm. starting to happen. One is again, I was in the what we a food industry. Yeah. Food industry in general goes two percent a year. Okay. Generally because of inflation. So there's no aggressive growth anywhere. There's not gonna be very much innovation. Like we were really doing contract renewals. Like I can still remember annual planning. We were getting through our bottoms up work. We were getting to like, we think we're going to get to 6% growth. And that's a bit of a stretch for next year. And the company was asking us, I think for 9%. And that was like, just insane as a request. Now, you and I have been working in tech together for a while. Can you imagine that that was the stress you we were going through, 6% versus 9%? But, like, there's truly, it was just no growth. So it was the same thing over and over again because there's not a lot of growth, not a lot of innovations, the same thing. And and so one of the things I think I'd started to learn, I was starting to get bored. Yeah. I had a very defined, stable path in front of me, like um, NPD, really stable company, privately held, well, like, well-led, well-managed. So if I wanted... I had a great long career ahead of me there, right? But again, as I looked around at everyone around me who'd been there, you know, 10 or 15 years, they were all pretty much doing what the same thing that they were doing 10 or 15 years ago, which might've been great for them, their personality types, their their family situations, you know, what they want. Like some people need a little bit more security, stability. They love what they do every single day and they don't need it to change. I start to realize... You do. I I do. (laughs) I... Need to learn. I need, I need disruption. I also don't like predictability. I like things to be different every single day. And so I was, I was starting to get a little bit bored and it was ambitious. I wanted to make more money, and that wasn't gonna happen like significantly here. So just I was starting to think about what I wanted to do next, but really struggling with it. Cause like I said, for the most part, this was like I was very comfortable, right? And there's a little bit of that fight, like. Why would I give up all of this again, stability? Um, but something was eking at me to make a change. And out of the blue, someone reached out to me actually about market logic. So I hadn't started looking yet. So it, this is a very serendipitous outreach of a headhunter that was recruiting on behalf of this company, Market Logic Software, based out of Berlin. And the reason that they were calling me is they had built a marketing insights platform. And so what they were doing was aggregating all of the market research and all the insights that all of these massive Fortune 500, you know, companies uh, do in a year and figuring out a way to make them reusable. Because usually, you know, let's say anyone does a a research one time, it gets used by that one team and tossed out who's going to find it again, right? And that's millions and millions and millions of dollars. So they were building a platform to see, like, how can we help large, massive corporations actually get better value out of that? So build a platform, AI, natural language processing, all the things to, like, aggregate it, better spit out answers, kind of like what ChatGPT is doing now, but, like, that was, but with a company's own proprietary research. So I knew the research world and they wanted someone that would be facing the food and, food manufacturing vertical. So I knew the customers and I knew, I knew the research world. I just, then I could learn the tech side, right? So what they were looking for was someone to come in and actually do sales. They were looking to do North American expansion. Would I come on board and sell for them? So it seemed incredibly exciting. It was a whole lot of things that I didn't understand, but a whole lot that I did Right. So there was safety and like the value I could add while there was a whole side oh, that was being new. It was a startup. They were looking at growing quickly. I remember they blew, they flew me to Berlin for my interview. I'd met the teams and it was all young, right? Tech, all young, fun. They timed it perfectly. I did my interview on the day of their summer party. So they had me at the summer party after, which was like, you know, at a park and like, and it was just, it was great like oh i like this vibe and the money was going to be great and it was gonna be something to build and i remember like really struggling with this decision of leaving known npd loves me appreciates me great job stable for this other thing that looks exciting but also don't really know much about them they're in berlin they're like they you know, they're they're privately backed. Like, who knows if they exist in a couple of years? Is this all for real? But I was really inspired by the CEO and his vision. He was a genius. And I remember it was um one of my parents had said to me when I was talking it out, and this piece of advice has stuck with me forever, which was I think it was my dad that said it to me was, Shim, nothing in this world is irreversible except having a baby. So, you might as well go do it. Right? Fair enough. You might as well why not go give it a shot? and if it doesn't work, you obviously, like someone like NPD would love to have you back, right? Or any of the other research company. like you've got a you've got a fallback, right? So why not go give it a shot, right? You're young, you don't have any kids, you're not married. Like, go do this now, take the risk. And it's when he said that to me that I was like, of course, right. Why wouldn't I, what am I so scared of? Right. And it made it easier then for me to, to say yes to that. That was my leap into, into tech. So up until this point now I've learned, right. Like I want to, I need to be learning a lot. I want to be around decision-making and strategy. Like that's what I've been chasing. And now I've also learned, I, I like, I like high growth. Right, I don't like stagnation or you know things that are just status quo. I want to be. I want things that are growing and building, and I want unpredictability.
1: So when you moved, was that especially North America? But were you still then commuting back and forth between North America and Berlin, or were you primarily still based in North America at that point in time?
0: Yeah, it was home-based. So my first time now working from home which was interesting, especially with a company now that is on another continent and six hours ahead. So my days would start very early and basically in my pajamas and Skype. There was a few of us peppered around North America that were the first few salespeople. So now I've also gone from being director of Canada at NPD back to being an IC again, but I decided to take the chance because I the money was good. The opportunity seems good. And so I was. Uh, back to being an IC again. So now I'm like in a full-on sales role, global accounts, I, think I had Coca-Cola and a few others that I was managing globally. And, but what happens now with me? Once again, just like the last couple of jobs, I start seeing problems and I start wanting to solve them. I, I was doing this at NPD. But again, this is why they invested in me, right? I showed up ready to make things better and wanting to solve things and all of that. So immediately, right, we've got maybe a dozen salespeople around the world at this point. We are all directly reporting to the CEO at this point, who's awesome. And we're starting to hire more. And of course, what do I realize? And these are long, like this is true, like enterprise selling. Like these are 12 to 18 month sales cycles. And it's selling things like, like AI and machine learning and all of these things that I have no idea how to explain. But we have to learn and in, in order to do that so now I had to learn this side we had no onboarding and enablement so when I onboard of course the startup when I onboarded at this company I remember I showed up in Berlin I was going to be there for two weeks I walked into the CMO's office because she was going to run my onboarding she'd forgotten that I was coming to Berlin she pulled out a scrap piece of paper quickly and like scratched on the back of it with a pencil like Let's have you do this for the next two weeks. We'll have you shadow some of our analysts. We'll have you do some of this. You'll learn how to demo. Like, it literally all happened on the fly. So I quickly realized if we're going to scale this organization quickly and we're going to hire people like me, which is what we were doing, like who people understand the customer, I was like, we're going to need to teach them and onboard them and enable them properly.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Mindset Shift, a leadership development company focused on helping you lead from the inside out, not from the outside in. We work one-on-one with senior leaders in organisations. We work directly with HR and other parts of organisations to help you create an authentic culture where your words and your values and your actions all align. We help you to navigate the complexity and the chaos that we all experience day in and day out. And we have a couple of openings for the one-to-one coaching this year, but that's something that you're interested in. If you want to work with a coach who can help you navigate this year to ensure that you're intentional to take your leadership skills personally and professionally to the next level, send me an email at hello at mindsetshift.co.uk or just go to the website www.mindsetshift.co.uk. Now let's get back into today's episode.
0: And so I put together a slide deck. booked a meeting with the CEO. We need to better set up our salespeople for success if we're, gonna, like, if we're gonna grow this thing. And I had like multiple slides on how we needed to better onboard our people and develop them. And here's what we, I think we need to teach them. And here's, here's what I think the ROI will be. And he stopped me halfway through. He's like, Shimoda, of course. Great, you're gonna do it. <laughs> oh shit be careful what you that's it so um he goes but i still need you selling he goes that's what I like i need you bringing the revenue so there's the second hat i take on at this company so i'm now i'm still a global salesperson i'm running some of these accounts globally and i've now just become the new head of enablement and onboarding and i end up spending um i fly over and we spend like a month in berlin or three weeks me ceo cmo a couple of others literally building onboarding documentation for a two-week onboarding and like i i think i started to build like a a one month kind of onboarding or ramp plan for our people literally wrote it ourselves all of it and i started to become the person that onboarded our people to start with so we could test out this program which means i'd fly out every time we hired new people Fly fly out to berlin onboard them for two weeks and then start to run like their demo training and all that stuff after that. Like I had a, like I had a month long plan as we proved it out so that we can then start to codify it and have other people do it. So now I'm selling animals at the head of enablement, but alongside with this, what else? Well, Shimon, why don't you also coach our new salespeople? And so now I start to like fly around the world and go with some of them to their first sales meetings and help them through their first sales calls. So now I'm kind of coaching and I'm the head of enablement and I'm also a salesperson. And all of a sudden, I'm traveling 25 out of 30 days a month. So, and in the meantime, but I'm also having like the time of my life because I'm doing a ton of things, right? And I'm in front of lots of really interesting clients and we're selling. We're both farmers and hunters. So... I had existing accounts that I was building in, so I had great relationships. I had new ones I was going after, so I had some of that, like, sales hunter in there. I was onboarding our people so I could, like, really feel like I was a part of building our organization, coaching our salespeople, which was great.
1: Wasn't all of that overwhelming?
0: When everything was good and healthy and exciting, it was not. It was a fun environment, actually, to be around. Like, we were having a really good time, like, together, all of us. It was a whole bunch of people that decided to take a chance. Everyone had come from a slightly more traditional or safer backgrounds. And so we were a whole bunch of people that had decided to take a chance on this thing. And so it was, it was actually exciting, right? And the environment in the office, when we go to Berlin would be so much fun. Like again, it was super young and the CEO was super eccentric, but just a genius, great vision. Like it was, the place was insane. But fun. Then, of course, we start to scale. We hired a CRO. Worst experience ever. The most toxic leader I've ever had to report to. Um, absolute disaster. And within a few months, this amazing environment that I was a part of that I had no problem, you know, running around for became like I had huge anxiety every single day. I hated showing up. I hated waking up and working like that changed everything. So, a lesson that one boss can change your entire experience of something right uh, and he was just absolutely awful and it changed the environment on our whole team and so everything just started to change and I did I actually started I was like no I'm not working for this guy like I I think I'd seen enough good bosses by this point in nice environments that I knew that I didn't want to necessarily put up with it so I started to look. It was really upsetting though because I believed in this company and where they were headed. I really liked the CEO. I'd loved what I was doing. It was this one guy that was changing the entire experience.
1: Like what were some of those traits around? Was it just value alignment or just the way that he showed up and treated people that I was just like?
0: The way he showed up and treated people. He was, we were a global organization and our German organization and they hired a very I don't know, was a very American guy, Notre Dame football player. I don't know how if he'd ever really left the country before that, and so he showed up like really not able to show up and be a global leader. If that makes sense, yes, and not relatable, and so it's just like, which was a little cringy. He was a gaslighter. He would make certain commitments or demands and then change them the next day or decide one thing and change it, but then expect that you would have caught up with it. Like it was, he yelled a lot, which I'd never really experienced before. Like having someone really like, like scream at me at work, like that, all of it. And, uh, and so I started to look and I started searching and I started interviewing with a bunch of companies. And I was at this point, like I was talking to a bunch of tech companies. I just wanted out. But I've, but again, because it was so important to me to try everything before I left, I didn't want to feel like a quitter. I flew over to Berlin, sat down with the CEO, told him what, like told him the concerns I had. It's just like, this guy's not showing up well. It's only been four or five months. He's not showing up well. He's not resonating with the team. There's, you know, here's all the problems that we've got. Like we've got to do something, right? I wanted to at least say I tried. So the solution was, Shimona, we're going to promote you. If you could move to Chicago to be closer to him, like at the office that we're building there, then you can make sure that he kind of stays in line. You can kind of be that buffer between him and the rest of the organization.
1: You're going to be kind of chaperone. <laughs> is that.
0: Well, now I know it's <laughs> But at the time, it was, you know, it was a CEO being like, I really want you to be here. I really want you to help. I know that there's some challenges with this guy, but I think that you can really help like pull it together. And all of a sudden, this offer was being put in front of me and a promotion, and we're going to reload you to Chicago. And and I actually decided to stay. And because again, I just I really believed where this company was going. And I like I said, I believed in them and I was enjoying outside. Of that, I was enjoying what I was doing. I just wanted to feel like I'd seen it through. And so i agreed so I went through all of this even like that process was awful with this guy the negotiation process with this guy but i kept following the path like of reloading and then that summer this is 2016 in august uh, i was there for i was in chicago all of us were in chicago our whole team our north american team were in chicago for our summer party and i was apartment hunting I was literally going around looking at condos because, oh, in the next month or two, I was going to be moving to Chicago. And and this leader crossed a line and just took it one step too far and did something completely awful and caused a whole ruckus, which I won't get into other than to say, like, that was the moment that I knew I was, I'm not moving to Chicago. I am not going to be closer to this guy and I have to get out. And I and uh, and the reason I also knew that was it blew up very quickly globally. Yeah. But the CEO and the board decided that they weren't going to let him go because it was going to cost too much money. Yeah. Contract right c level. And so my lesson right there was like you can't say that you have values and that you care about your people, but when the when the fork in the road is in front of you, you choose the easier path, right? And so internalized. You know piece of self-awareness right there values can't just be something that's on a wall it has to be the thing that you live and so and once you know it uh, up until that point every time I had recruiter outreach I was saying no because I was committed to market logic and as I say thanks but no thanks I'm really committed maybe try me in a year this incident happened two days earlier the recruiter from Shopify had reached out to me and I hadn't yet replied to say, thanks, but no thanks. Timing's not good. And so this incident happened. And I was like, maybe I'm going to reply to that Shopify recruiter. And that's the end of that story.
1: Why, how? Yep.
0: In line. Because if they'd reached out a week earlier, yeah. I would have already have replied and said, you know, timing's not good.
1: It's crazy. The one look at that happening, even you getting that job, and the timings of the recruiters is <laughs> yeah. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> There's something about you that you're, you're attracting people to you at the right time.
0: Those two, I mean, are just perfect timing. Truly. Because otherwise, I was about to start searching again. I was going to go back to maybe some of the other companies that I'd been talking to. But instead, this, like... And part of it was like, well, I might as well reply to Shopify and start having conversations. And truly, I never... I, I didn't... I was talking to one other company... But almost from the beginning, there was something that felt right. I remember about the Shopify interviews, where it was like, "Oh, this
1: feels like this is it your space." Yeah,
0: this is the right place.
1: Because at that point in time, it still wasn't wasn't as big as it is now. It was still, still tiny, still scrappy. Especially when you're building in Plus, yeah. it's completely brand new. Mm-hmm. Was that was was that part of what excited you about that going into a space where you can actually build something from scratch? Yes.
0: So, I. I've now learned, right? I need, I need some chaos and unpredictability. I like to build things. I like fast growth. I don't like that six nine percent growth. I wanted, um, I want to be able to find problems and solve them, right? Like I did at Market Logic, like I was doing at NPD. I would just try new things out. I wanted the space and autonomy to be able to do that. I knew I wanted to be around great values, great humans, people with integrity, people I enjoy being around, and. I'd started as an IC at MarketLogic, but quickly gone right back into somehow coaching and developing and, and people and all of that with people. So I was finding my way back to leadership again. And so when I talked and I was now exhausted from traveling 25 out of 30 days a month. Right. So now I wanted something that was a little bit more local. And all of that came together with Shopify, right? Canadian company. And it was, and so I wouldn't have to fly anywhere, (laughs) which was great for a little while, super early stages for Shopify plus it had just gone from like cute experiment of Shopify's to like, oh shit, this is a thing we're going to actually start to build the guy that was going to be my boss, Mark Bergen, who you know well as well, had just started a few months earlier. So he was just starting to build his leadership team. Like this was all coming together from scratch. As I went through the interviews, every time I talked to someone. Shopify is this really interesting way of interviewing where they talk you through like your life story, right? They just they want to get to know you as a human. And that was very new to me, right? Very unique. There weren't the typical, you know, top 10 interview questions that you would Google, tell me about a time you tell me how you Right? it was tell us about really the, for any abstract, but people were also really genuinely interested in who I was as a person. And what my ideas were not just what I would accomplished. And I thought that I remember that standing out to me. And I met a whole bunch of people in the beautiful offices we had at that time. That was another seller. But genuinely, people just wanted to know who I was, what ideas I had, what I was excited to do, along with what I had done. Okay. Right. And 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 then, of course, when I met... And when I met uh, Mark Bergen, that was the interview that really solidified it, obviously, because, again, I, I knew I wanted to be around a really great leader. I wanted great values. I just wanted to be around people that I could trust. I was really starting to have a sense of what, how I thought an organization should run. And it was starting to get beaten down, actually, because I had this idea, right? Like, again, the values that you have as an organization are actually supposed to be how you yeah. operate. And over the last few organizations, of course, what I was starting to find was that's actually not the case in many companies. It's on the wall, but not when push comes to shove, it's actually not how decisions are made. And I found, there was a couple of times where I was being told, like, I was being naive. Or, yeah, that naive is probably the best word. Like, Shimona, you have to understand how the real world works. And I remember I keep thinking, I like, well, wouldn't it be great if the real world actually operated this way?
1: The values were no fancy.
0: Right. Like, why does it have to, why is it like, why is that just for like, well, that's business books, that's leadership books, or that's that. That's not actually how the world works. And I was like, well, why not? Sounds like it would be a great world to live in, doesn't it? But I'd starting to get beaten down by that. Right. And so what I'd seen in Mark, when he and I interviewed, one, we actually spent half the interview whiteboarding, because we were already talking out ideas. Right. So I had someone to like bounce ideas off of, which is what I need and love. Right. Like, how do we think about problems? How we would solve them? How do we collaborate well together? But at the end of the interview, he's only been in the job a few months. It's September, 2016, I think my turn to ask questions. And I asked him like, at the end of this year, what's success for you? I was just trying to get a sense of what he was working on. Right. Was he, was the hiring the team? Was he hitting a number? Like what? And his answer was the exact moment that I knew that this was my guy, and this is who I wanted to build with, and this was the company I wanted to work for. Shimona, when people walk out of our doors in the next two, three, four, five years, if we've set them up for success in their careers, that will be success. Full stop. Right? Not an expansion number, not a revenue number. That was success. And he you could tell he was dead serious. I was like, this is the guy I want to work with. So, those first years at Plus, particularly, um, were absolutely insane because we were like this again, kind of side experiment of Shopify's. We were our own little product line before Shopify had product lines. And so we were kind of left to like run on our own. We had the freedom to experiment with anything and everything. And Shopify was growing so exponentially at the time as well that we also had a lot of leeway to take risks and try things that maybe you can't, right? When you're in a tougher macroeconomic environment and things like that.
1: While you're still recovering from that amazing conversation, let me give you a quick preview of what we got coming up next week Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out.
0: So those first years at Plus particularly um, were absolutely insane because we were like this, again, kind of side experiment of Shopify's. We were our own little product line before Shopify had product lines. And so we were kind of left to like run on our own. We had the freedom to experiment with anything and everything. And Shopify was growing so exponentially at the time as well that we also had a lot of leeway to take risks and try things that maybe you can't, right, when you're in a tougher macroeconomic environment and things like that.